0: Welcome everybody. Um really excited about this podcast today.
1: Not only because Lee's back. How are you doing? Well, I'm very well. Thanks, James. And asked back for a second week. I'm, I'm I mean, I'm the one that's surprised, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I obviously did such a fantastic job last time that uh, I'm back here again, folks. So uh, good to see you all. And I hope I can do as um well as i did last time
0: yeah, we'll see <laughs> we'll see um and our guest today uh is christian lang um christian is uh has come on really to talk about um uh the charity that he's md of um which is stars which is uh all about helping youngsters through rugby which really gels and knits with uh with what we try to do here at, at be more rugby so um looking forward to getting to know more about that how are you christian
2: i'm very well guys and uh, thank you very much for inviting me along it's very generous of you
0: no no problems at all um really looking forward to it this is um yeah th- this is exactly what we wanted to try and help with with this podcast so um but we'll kick off with a bit of a warm-up i know lee is dying to uh, tackle the tackle height issue that the rfu have Dropped on the rugby world just in the last week. What's your thoughts, Lee?
1: Interesting use of vocabulary. Tackled the tackle issue, and the RFU dropped. Yes, I think they have dropped something. Um, yeah. Uh, firstly, I think um, the RFU have got it wrong with the way that they've uh, presented um, this uh, this rule change. Um, it needed to be packaged significantly different, and given a bit more thought about how it was going to be perceived once it was out there in in the in the, uh, in the space um i i think um firstly when you're talking about a tackle line of the naval and below um yes that is a tricky tricky place to tackle for some people um it's not impossible but it is going to massively change the game for some of the players out there um but um i think the main problem is that uh, when there are a few of uh, of um, disclosed this information they've not really thought about the whole context and how that's going to be implemented in uh, by coaches and uh, how it's going to be understood by players there's no other fabric around that um but i understand now there's more information which is going to be forthcoming mm. um which i expect is going to change our uh, our views uh, significantly I'm
0: I'm skeptical in the fact that I think the RFU have made their decision and will be embarrassed to go back on it. But um, what about up at uh, Chew Valley, Christian? Is there a, a buzz around this topic? Is there? I think there's probably
2: a buzz in every single rugby community in the country, isn't there? In a the moment about this topic, and you know, I've I've had playground discussions about it, rugby club discussions about it, freezing cold discussions, watching Bristol Bears play. There's an adjective you can add after that, um, which I won't say. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, it's hot stuff, right? And it's. It's a really interesting issue. You know, tackle height, and particularly the lowering of tackle height, has been around and in discussion in the rugby forum actively since what 2015, six, like around that time. You know, World Rugby were doing a lot of work in it, it, and there's been trials in different places. There's been adaptations in the French game. But I don't think it's naval in the French game. I think it's it's stern, yeah, sternum, right? That's a bit. Mm, yeah. mm. Like if you get punched between the ribs, a bit that hurts. So like sternum and below there's a, I, I think I completely agree with what lee said i i like the way it's been handled and delivered and kind of um landed in in the world and been released by the rfu is almost for me more of a concern than the issue they're trying to deal with. I think it's pretty hard to argue against trying to implement action which reduces head injury and and all that comes with that um and there's interesting research and the world rugby stuff which sort of talked about i think it was science and sport and they, they talked about uh, the red zone the orange zone and the green zone for sort of impact on tackle height and and head injury and interestingly sternum sternum to waist is the green zone and waist down is identified as the orange zone so you know the RFU have come out and said it shows their continued commitment to player safety and I think you can you can probably see that thread in what they're up to but actually if you were kind of if that was the primary drive then maybe sternum to waist would be your approved tackle target area. Um, But I think exactly as Lee says, the way it's, the way it initially dropped and the way they initially announced it was it, it felt to me personally, my opinions are my own, whatever you're supposed to say, but it it felt like, you know, there's been some bad stuff in the press. This doesn't look so great for us. We'll make a decision. And then probably I imagine somewhere, someone in the RFU is going, you know, we've not, this isn't going to come out great, you know. Optics is a word that gets thrown around in marketing um, meetings often, doesn't it? And by, by people concerned in such things. And I think the optics on the way they dealt with it are fairly poor. um I don't think you can argue with the uh, the principle of trying to improve player safety, trying to you know improve the sort of post rugby life of players and 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 the impact that, that that rugby can have on that. I think how it's been dealt with, how the process appears to have been done, and what you know the m- informational lack of that they gave about how they're going to address this and deal with it is just dropping the ball is probably uh, the fairest analogy there I think they've done an awful I job I think today or, or definitely because I've sort of like, like everyone else when it dropped last week it I don't think I got to the news until like I think it was Tuesday last week was I didn't get to the news until like five or six o'clock because I was doing other stuff and I came to it, I was like where's this come from like where's the consultation process that's led to this i mean maybe they'd argue that the science existing in world rugby and the discussion that has been going on in world rugby means that you know that there already is a forum and and they've just made a decision based on what's already out there And in fact that's a statement they've made right that you know based on our evidence and evidence elsewhere in the world of rugby we've we've made the decision but it just appeared to appear from nowhere and then the statement was really kind of quite brutal and we're doing this it starts in july good luck everyone Mm -hmm. it seems to have been adapted a little bit on the on the you know the RFU website now so they talk about how they're going to deliver a training program for coaches and players and officials and it will be some um, face-to-face training and then it goes on to talk about webinars um, which we probably all got an opinion on and then online resources which are brilliant you know and very well to have online resources for reference but I'm interested to see how the next couple of weeks unfolds and the RFU's approach to how they are actually going to deliver this training to a level in which it has understanding in the game. July is all very well to make a to make a, a you know a rule change, and, but we've it, it, grassroots level nine weeks, maybe eight weeks left of M and J's rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't start coaching this rule change in in September if it's a rule change that's happened in July. We've got to start introducing this principle really soon and there's no there's nothing out there's no guidance yet on what that looks like in coaching having spent some time with some coaches you know community coaches who this week who've had no guidance whatsoever on on what that looks like I'll be really interested to see how the IRFU is going to guarantee that this is rolled out so that it does actually make a change which improves safety I think if I'm being horribly pessimistic I think what it's going to introduce is a, a period of absolute confusion for the beginning of next season and which you lose coach confidence, you lose player confidence. Match officials at all levels are in a really challenging position because you know they've not chosen to change the rule. They're going to be in, expected to enforce it and and to regulate it without maybe without appropriate guidance or training. It's it just doesn't feel like it's been managed particularly well.
0: I think um, I I fully understand the importance of making the game safer and and the games we've talked about this before. The game's a different game today than it was, you know, years ago when, you know, when we played. It, it's any, in- it's not, it's the same game, It's but it's so different at the same time. Um, and I think the RFU have got a near impossible task to try and manage the safety of the game, especially in, in modern times, certainly dealing with the data that, that can be gathered now through these incredible gum shields and, and um, skull caps and all the rest of it, the technology that's out there. But I think exactly as you've just said, if it had been managed in a way that look, we're looking to make the game safer. These are the things we're looking at rather than we're big brother. And that game that you all love, we're just about to change that completely and you're not allowed to play it anymore. And I think that's why, I mean, I just checked on there then over 74,000 people have signed the petition to say, just, you know, make, give this another thought at least. Um, and then you've got so many of the professionals coming out and saying, "It's, it's not going to help,"
1: and I, and I, I think, think that's a problem. I think there's a bit of a danger there as well with the professionals, because you know when you watch um uh, like the Premiership rugby, when you watch international rugby, um but and the Europeans, um those games, um generally there's there's at least a person getting red carded or yellow carded per game for a high shot. Mm. Um, so and in the professional game, there's a lot of um, teaching and coaching. Um, to be hitting around sorry Lee. it's all right that's okay <laughs> to be to be hit, hitting your opposition you know around the 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 shoulder line which which is the legal height if you like legal maximum right and then tend to ride up to try and prevent offloads and uh, um, and, and 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 all sorts um and uh, handoffs etc uh so i think we've got to be really careful when we're trying to um Look at what the professionals are saying, and how that actually reflects in the in the junior and the grassroots rugby game. Because although it's the same game, it's they are played slightly different. Um, but um, I think going back to Christian's point um, about the coaching, it's a huge challenge. I mean, um, as far as us here in the uh, at academy level, um, we won't be implementing any of this information. Although we do coach the the, the players to co- to tackle low. Um, we won't be implementing any any, any of this new regulation um, this year. Uh, so it's all coming in in the off-season. So that's going to give us four weeks pre-season to try and uh, catch up. Um, and again, as Christian said, then there's going to be the huge challenge of the officials and how that's regulated. You know, what does that look like on the pitch? You know, are we going to have yellow and red cards flashed all over the place? I probably don't think we are. But if you get the referee on the wrong day playing to the right rules, then, you know, we could end up with seven aside.
2: Well, if you look at, you know, it depends on how the referees are directed as well, right? By the IRFU, if the IRFU bring in direction for referees to be zero tolerance and it's like they did in like two thousand and seventeen, with any contact with the head in the tackle was essentially a red card, and it just ripped the game to pieces at all level. Then exactly, you know how what the like say, you say, know, seven aside games are a realistic proposition, and I, I don't, it is all you know. I think there's a. Like I just I, we don't know what their intent or what went on behind the scenes before they dropped this and how much work they've done because just simply because they haven't communicated that and I think really for me that you know you've got to accept that in any sport regulation is going to change as the game progresses and, and more information about the impact of the game on health and well-being kind of comes into it you know I think that's probably true of, of, of most team sports at the moment particularly sport team sports of any form of, of, of contact you know are really hot on this stuff but I think communication is what, for me, the the, fine, the thing that I found most interesting. Um, and I'm not going to do inverted commas on my fingers because I think that says something about me. But, you know, that's an interesting approach to making a fundamental change to one of the kind of key elements of the game of rugby. Um, yeah, I've,
0: I've been watching rugby now with, um, and I'm very well aware that this, this, that law will come into um to place at the moment this, you know, there's no idea that or on no thought it seems that it's going to be reversed or whatever i'm watching games now and, and i know it's the professional game that's different but i'm watching them thinking if this does come into the to world rugby how's it going to change they're talking about it being a um, a better game a faster flowing game and all the rest of it and also listening to professionals saying tackle choices is, is mm. such a you know such a uh, a personal thing in the moment, if you take away some of the choices, what choices do you get? And I'm now looking at rugby thinking, do they mean it's going to be a faster flow game Because there's just going to be more tries, more, you know, more backs that are running past forwards because the forwards just haven't got that agility to be able to, and, and I know that, you know, they can coach and they can work and they can train to get better at it. But I'm looking at it thinking, how's it going to affect? I can't see it affecting the game in, in any other way other than, there's going to be a load more yellow and red cards, uh, which slows it down in one respect and a load more tries, which means the scores go through the roof. And then I suppose I'm a purist. I do just like to see some, a lot of work on the ground. Do you know what I mean?
2: You're after a rainy day thrill just Mm -hmm. to uh, really, I think that if you're, if you're a player like Harry Randall, you know, the Bristol, the Bristol scrum half, you are rubbing your hands at the moment because, you know, he is relatively short. He's, dynamic you know he's electric on the ball and a lot of his work's done around the base of the scrum and making breaks but you know in the in the 10-12 gap so he's going to be in an absolute dream and if you if you if you're peeing off the side or the back of a scrum as an eight to try to hit harry randall at waist tight and below you, you're, you're probably going to be best off lying on the floor and sticking your tongue in the air to stand a chance of doing it because otherwise i don't see how you get down there i mean if you and like I say tackle choice should be actually if you look at henry Slade, um I don't know if it was a rescinded at red card, but he's not going to face a ban. Like I think the ban's been removed. And if you watch that footage in slow motion, you can come to the conclusion that had this rule applied at that point to that game, then he easily could have got to waist height and below to make the tackle on the Bulls 15 and, and we wouldn't have this issue. But watch the game in real time. And he arrives in that situation and, you know, and probably has less than half a second to decide where he's going for the tackle and how that's going to work. you know. And it, so I think exactly what you say, James, that actually what that turns into is that Henry State doesn't even attempt to make a tackle. And then you have a break from a defensive 22, which I, mean, the th- I think the two players inside him were, I think, you know, I think he had a back row and, uh, you know, he had players inside him who also would have struggled to tackle that quite short 15 and get an effective tackle in on them. And so, you know, that turns into a score. So I guess from a, a, from a non-purist fan point of view, no one loves anything better than a well-worked try from the 22 that runs for the field. But if that's happening every time it turns, it's, you know, it's almost like sevens has come into the 15 game in that way that you're not going to get that. I'm also with you, James, I like a bit of attritional rugby where you kind of, you know, you're into the dark arts of what might be going on, on the ground or in the mall and, and what, mm-hmm. and what that produces, you know, I don't know. It's, I, don't, I find that it's a really, I mean, if if, if the RFU's plan was to ensure that rugby was trending high on Twitter as the most discussed topic for a few weeks, they've absolutely smashed (laughs) it, haven't (laughs) they? I mean, they've done better than anyone else in rugby in making that happen. But um, it's a really interesting point. I think the ramifications are going to be through every level and every facet of the game.
0: I, I guess last week, Dan Cottrell, he's already on. On all over it anyway. He's already set up uh, coaching upgrades made simple, and he's discussing <laughs> this exact topic. So if you're near uh, Billingham RFC, Stockton on Tees on Monday the thirteenth of Feb at seven pm,
1: I'm not that far away.
0: No, go and uh, go and get on that one and um, and see what Dan Cottrell has to say on that, or uh, you know, or at least just get on the Rugby Coach Weekly, and um, I'm sure he will be flooding um, it with info. But Lee. When we finally get back to Wimborne and can get on our pitch, do you even start to think about coaching this in with the lads? Do you talk about it to the
1: lads? What are we going to do? Uh, I mean, I, I don't think so at the moment. I mean, we've we we work on um, our tackle heights anyway. I don't I don't really want anyone going, you know, above at the waist. The waist is is really the sort of maximum height I really want to be tackling at. However, I understand the challenges for the taller lads, particularly when they're when they're trying to tackle a shorter person you know and as as christian said you look at the likes of harry randall well harry randall's got lots of different attributes yeah being a huge smash it up ball carrier is not one of them you know yeah but we need to make sure rugby is still a game a game for all that everyone can play and everyone feels comfortable to play um so i think there's got to be changes in behavior i mean again let's use harry randall right he's not gonna you know jump up and try and tackle a six foot four second row right have you not guy. watched
2: harry randall that's pretty much harry randall's bread and butter taking yeah, it, uh his
1: thing isn't harrison's it?
2: <laughs> game early this season smashing ben earl was probably the highlight of the game for everyone and randall brought yeah, exactly. ben but, earl down.
1: but he, yeah and and uh but he's gotta he's gotta work quite hard to get up around the shoulders on some of these big boys so um you know you have to unfortunately sometimes you've got to accept that you have to make the tackle the tackle's going to be low and that player might offload the ball yeah but mm-hmm. your primary your primary decision-making should be how do I tackle that player mm. um and uh I, again I think it's it's been uh being a, again a shorter a shorter in stature type a person I've always had to make um tackle choices when I was playing and you know you do get half a second if that to make those choices um and uh you know my my, my thought was always right let's make sure I tackle the player if I think I could knock them back or you know maybe they're shorter than me some were um, then uh, you know, I'll maybe hit them a little bit higher. Um, but uh equally the bigger boys now have got to think a bit more about it. You know, they've got to bend at the waist and work a bit harder to tackle lower. And I don't think that's necessarily um happening in in the professional game. You know, there has been a change, but I don't think the change in tackle height is significant enough. Um mm-hmm. thinking about the uh the RFU talking about the the naval my feeling is that's gonna, you know work its way up a bit higher. And we're going to end up somewhere around the ribcage, sternum area, um, you know, as, as they as they were trialling in France. Yeah.
2: And it's been successful in France, right? You know, the, if you look at the, you know, you can look at international records since they introduced that rule for the French team. You can look at the performance of the French team in European game against English teams. And, you know, they're, they're defensively strong. They're turning over the ball well and they've got a really open and flowing game. So I suppose if that's what it brings to the premiership, and as a Bristol fan, I would love to return to the days when we didn't just watch eighty or 79 minutes of defence and some some interesting kicking options. Then I'm all for it. But for me, like I said at the beginning, like we've, the communication around it, the optics of the way it's been dealt with, I don't think are quite in tune with what the RFU perhaps were hoping to achieve and what they've
1: done.
0: I think that was probably their biggest failing, but um, still, I think uh, that one's... Uh... We'll wait and see next year. Well,
1: uh... we'll, we will wait and see, but I think there's there's plenty more to come on that on that subject.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, Mm. most definitely.
0: So I think um, warm up over. We'll crack on with our first half, and I'd like to introduce um, Christian Lang, Christian's uh, teacher. Been a teacher for twenty odd years, including uh, assistant head teacher. Um, He's got uh, extensive experience in supporting children that have had uh, multiple adverse childhood experiences um, and a great relationship, a great understanding of the relationship needed to help them thrive last year he joined Star Scheme as their managing director um, and together with the team there uh, they are helping children uh, that have had trauma um, uh, as youngsters with uh, the aid of the beautiful game of rugby yeah
2: utilising rugby home as uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call, I'm gonna shout out Wayne Sanford from Wallingham Rugby Club in uh, in the Croydon area who introduced me to the term rugby home um I did say to him I'd steal it and sell it as my own um but I suppose just for this one time I will acknowledge that <laughs> the genius came from him but yeah exactly that so my you know I, I went to university in Bath and, and trained as a primary school teacher and uh, my final teaching practice was in an area of South Bristol which was an interesting kind of mix of affluence and uh, and, and and deprivation um, and it kind of sparked a bit of a passion really to kind of understand how to best meet the needs of the kind of range of children that I'd encounter in that environment and then I spent a lot of my career trying to work in schools that presented certain and distinct challenges um, and for the sort of last 13 and a half uh, years of my teaching career I worked in kind of quite a really challenging area in a really deprived area of of South Bristol and um, I suppose my interest in the childhood adversity and the impact that has on children's outcomes in life comes from essentially you know being in a classroom or being in a school environment and seeing that you know two children in the same class with the same provision with the same or what would appear to be the same starting points academically learning at different rates for reasons that couldn't be explained academically if that makes sense and you know, it wasn't necessarily to do resource or approach or relate or relationship to the teacher or all those things that we would sort of immediately stand out and it sort of let me just learn about this world of adversity in childhood and, and the impact that that has on neurological development emotional development and regulation and and therefore the outcomes that kind of occur for these kids in later life so when star scheme started it was um it was at Chew Valley rugby club, as James mentioned earlier, in the, in the Chew Valley, south of Bristol. Um, and essentially, it came about as a result of Dan Wooler, who's the guy who um, started Star Scheme. He's our chair of trustees as well. And he had been part of a successful story for one of the young people who had been at the rugby club, who it's fair to say that without rugby, his outcomes in life would have been far different. Uh, and it kind of now enabled Dan to start to think about well if this worked for said child how many other age groups in our club have, have got this is it true of and you know unsurprisingly every age group could identify a child that rugby was the difference for and then when you speak to other clubs well every club's got kids that are, and people that rugby's a difference for and um you know I, I, from watching playing being cowardly enough to play rugby at school and not be very good at it and then being a fan of rugby and you know go to university in bath you can't help but watch a lot of good rugby as it was in the late 90s yeah. um no comment since then um you know and as you you realize what rugby does and everyone you speak to is in rugby knows that person that without rugby would be somewhere less pleasant in a life less fortunate um so what star does essentially is build and repeat that story over and over my interest in it is how we kind of bring the world of adverse childhood experiences and the kind of all the neurology of that and the science that comes behind that which is starting to get a bit of a standing in education like it, it's shocking to think that really you'd imagine that's always been part of education understanding how a child's experiences would impact on their ability to learn for example you know like these these adverse experiences can impact on a child's ability to focus learn understand language so know there's a key and an obvious link to education but it's only really I don't know it's hard to know the pandemic has anyone else completely lost their sense of time like it feels like there was a life before the pandemic and since but maybe the last eight five, five to eight years it started to become more prevalent and really you know the pandemic kind of helped to probably highlight that it was a really key issue to address because a pandemic is obviously an adverse experience for children we didn't experience that as children you know most all the children alive today pretty much have i'd argue that kids born up to last summer were kind of born under the impact of of a pandemic so i was really interested to see that how that world of adversity and what i'd learned about it and how it applied it in school and begun to apply it kind of as whole school strategies and, and approaches to everything we did like how could we address that differently you know what what would have an impact in that so um when dan had this idea of star scheme through you know it's always who and not what and you know through The child that he had experienced it with well he'd come to the school that I worked at as a a young child in fact one of the adversities he faced was his dad had been incarcerated and then was released and and died in a a police chase and he had all that to deal with and I was uh, at the school and uh, one of the leaders at the school when that happened and uh, you know unfortunately for us in that school it was the fourth of six parental deaths that we Dealt with in a space of about eighteen months, um, and we say so he was number four. We were quite well versed by then on how we kind of help children to deal and process with grief. So you know, because of my link to the child, and we employed to that child's mum actually later in life, and she was still part of our school and part of our Valley Rugby Club, and she made the link and said, "Oh, you know, if you if we're going to put kids into this and try to make it into a scheme, you need to speak to to the school I was at, and and that meant speaking to me." And as soon as he kind of Dan explained what he was going to try to do, you know. And essentially, what he explained to me is that we're going to make sure that we take away barriers for kids. So we're going to we're going to take away the, the barrier of not being able to get transport to and from every game and training session. We're just going to pay for that. And I was like, oh yeah, that's that, that's a great idea. That'll make a difference. And we're going to make sure we build community, you know, and invite the parents along to be part of the rugby club. Oh, that's another another brilliant idea. And we'll and we'll provide kit and and all the rest of it. And I was like, this is this is ingenious, you know. And I was like, so how long are you going to do it for then? Like, you're just going to run it as like you know most typically programs run six or 12 weeks or you know you might get half a year out of someone if you you know speak really nicely to them and he's like well until they're 18 and it was that that's what got me and I I can remember exactly where I was it was in January 21 we were still in I think we were still in a lockdown then for a while I mean, definitely school wasn't fully populated we had teachers kind of you know some working at home some kids at home and I remember where I was because in uh, the head teacher's office because we were as a leadership team were taking it in turns being in and, and and I was genuinely sitting in the chair with my feet on the desk which um I suppose I probably shouldn't admit on something that's going to go on YouTube but that's what I was doing and I genuinely sat up and I said do you know what you just said like it, it caught me suddenly like you say you're gonna like work with kids from whenever they arrive at this rugby club until they're 18 so yeah I was like all right I'm in what do you need and then uh, we sort of spoke through things and ran a trial day at the school where he came in with a load of coaches and coached rugby he said he likes to tell he tells the story slightly different from me he says that i told him it would be 60 kids for for across an hour and that i kept him trapped in a in like a sports you know a mugger they call mean like a sports court um in the blazing july sunshine and put 240 kids through Um, i'd like to put on record that it was 244 kids and there was there was some shade so um it's now time to dispel the the myth that i tried to kill him at that point but you know we we ran the kids put it through and i uh, just sort of played the part of communicating between the rugby club and and the and the families and just got them to the club and and off we went and what i witnessed kind of day in day out then from when the kids started in that in September of 21 at the rugby club was just like frankly incredible. So I, you know one of my roles during uh, as one of the leads in school and particularly during COVID when we had kind of restricted access and you know everyone had to stand two meters apart, Do you remember all that. And one of my one of my roles um, and in Bristol City Council, if you I know if Bristol City Council is listening to this bit, this can't be proven. Um, was to, to spray paint you know like the lines and the dots for everyone to stand and I just was merrily one day like when lockdown was still things we were preparing still in place we were preparing to open the school I was merrily just spraying my two meter dots you know I think I had music on it was there was no one there and then I realized I'd gone like all along the pavement so you know and it said semi permanent paint. I thought, how long can that can last? Like, you know, six weeks. That's all we need it for. It's still there now. Like, that paint is not coming up. So, I don't know what part of semi permanent is, you know, is there. But, you know, I was doing all that. So, I was stood in the road, is what we did. We couldn't afford traffic bo- bollards for the school. So, we used a, a, a more kind of expendable, sorry, resource, which was me. So, I stood in the middle of the road, um, trying to avoid getting knocked over, but greeting all the parents and the families, so, you know, keeping them chatting, which is a really key part of what we were trying to do as a school to kind of engage the community and be a part of the community. So these kids that um, were part of the Star, as it was then, you know, um, you know attending Chew Valley, getting to be part of rugby, you know, they, they'd always sort of wave and say hello as they went in. But first of all, I noticed that the kids were kind of crossing the road um, at a different point. So they used to cross the road and, like, kind of walk through in front of me to the school gate, and then then they weren't. Then they were coming up behind me, and then so they could talk to me about rugby. And that's like, you know, I'm not talking like after three months, like week one, we went to rugby on Sunday! We went to rugby on Sunday! It's like trying to avoid getting knocked over by a bin lorry let's see what we can do you know talked about right? just full of it and loved it and off they went and you know in they go and like every Monday that was my thing then every Monday kids coming in we went to rugby and the, the group grew but the most amazing thing was watching the parents so there were some parents it was really challenging to went to that school building like anxiety and, and other things going on for them you know, their, their history and past relationship with their own schooling challenging place to come into right a school um and suddenly these parents were also because I spoken to them about the scheme we got them into and, and sort of introduced them to you know they were talking and, and making the like huge not huge attempts but I'm like continually chatting and saying hello and suddenly we had a subject to talk about which wasn't you know we need to talk to you about your child's behavior or I need to talk to you about this because about school or they need to approach me because something's gone wrong at school you know actually we were just talking about something nice they'd done at the weekend that they'd been involved with that their child had been involved with and that I had knowledge of and it gave us a context so suddenly I was having conversations with parents that I promised you a couple of examples like for the whole 13 years I'd stood on that you know and said hello to them and got no more than a nod and suddenly I was having full-blown conversations and learning more about these families and this the dynamic that I ever thought I would um in some cases ever thought I would need to know that much but you know you kind of find these things and it changed for me in school like the relationship with some of our in some cases some of the more challenging children we had a context that we could talk to beyond what might be happening in school for them or in their life from in that moment what it also gave me was you know i was a great one for if something was going wrong for a kid we had amazing school grounds let's get out in them and just utilize the space and the time and you know that might be kicking a football round, throwing a basketball and, and actually you can kick a football and kind of smash it a long way and keep going with that right most kids can manipulate a round spherical ball that really easily and that be that basketball football there are rugby ball you you can give have a go at kicking it but it's it's a technique that takes some practice and 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 in a hyper vigilant hyper aroused state it's really hard to have the focus to kick a rugby ball well but passing a rugby ball takes a bit of thought and you can only do it so far so it kind kind of gave a more controlled outlet and there's something about rhythm which so you know kids when they're hyper aroused when they flip their lid is a commonly used term. It is um, biologically accurate. You know, their the kind of prefrontal cortex has gone on li- offline at that point. They need rhythm, but rhythm is really, really key for these kids. Kids have encountered tr- well, actually, all humans rhythm is absolutely key for. I mean, if you think back to a time in your life, perhaps when you felt angry, sad, super upset, like something like music really can be really soothing for some people. Going for a walk is really effective, and yeah, there's other factors like the fresh air and hopefully the vista you're looking at but actually the rhythm of walking is key, a key part of that regulation so suddenly with these kids that are kind of going to rugby on Sunday I can now toss a ball backwards and forwards with them and throw the ball backwards and forwards is really rhythmic you just get in there you know, it's a whole body motion and you see so you cross center lines you engage central nervous systems loads of receptors you start to give stimulus and input to the brain which isn't this face you know we all know this face that that kids or, or adults have made and you start to get into this regulation you don't need to talk but you do need to concentrate because if you know if, if if someone is rubbish at rugby and me throws a ball at you you've got to be ready to do something magical and catch it so you know you've got to concentrate but you don't have to communicate and that I found that there's suddenly this magical communication and like regulation tool for these kids who perhaps didn't always have that and it wasn't always when things got went wrong but like often you know just going rock into them in the morning like trying to go and toss a ball around like yeah, yeah good. you know you, and you get three or four of them and you just, in that two minutes of throwing a ball around with them I'd learned about everything that was going on from that day how they felt where their state of mind was what might need to be done just to kind of bring him to a place where they're ready to learn so start to see massive massive impact and I suppose my story is that I sort of phoned down was like right this is working brilliantly what's next you know like Chew Valley's cool where else can we take this and he'd always had a plan to grow it more and I kind of got involved with that and then about this time last year much to the delight of my mortgage advisor my wife as I'm resigning from my career my established career in education um and the steady wage and you know the comfort of a great pension that comes with education and all those things and uh, gonna resign and I'm gonna go and run the star scheme as a sort of you know I work out the school year but you know then I'm going to run the star scheme and my wife said brilliant you know that's you, you've got a passion for it. It's great, you know. Is the funding in place to for that to be real? Wasn't no, no. There's no funding. No, we, we haven't got the money for that in the chat. No, there's no way. He said, Brit, well Well, you got a contract, you know, and a plan. No, no, no. I'm not. No, we haven't got anything. Not got anything grown up. But we have got the fact that we know this works. Well, I'm, I'm just completely madly passionate about how brilliant and how much fun it is. So I'm going to go and do that for a for a job. And fast forward a year. And, and it's totally is what I'm doing for a job. And you'll be very pleased to know that we've just about got enough funding to pay for me. Um, which is great, because the, the prospect of standing on a street corner and singing was probably more likely to get me in prison than uh, than anything else I've done in my life. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, the star scheme is what I live and breathe and, and work at every day. So yeah, that's kind of I don't know if that was a history of me or a history of the star scheme or or, or a little bit of the two combined, but um it's a bit it's of an a, overview,
0: at least. It certainly was passionate. I know that much, and um, yeah, I fully understand why you've got involved in it and why they wanted to to you know work with you at the same time. So, so as far as rugby goes, um, we're all rugby fans. Where did rugby come to your life? Was it just as a supporter, early days? No, early days.
2: Early school, so, but... yeah, second, sec- I, I was. I grew up in Taunton in Somerset, so we kind of you know, secondary schools where in the late 80s 90s is where you first encountered rugby you know rugby didn't exist in primary schools really those in those days and really without some good direction rugby doesn't exist exist enough within primary schools at the moment um so secondary school yeah and um where I had two super passionate and, and enthusiastic Welsh PE teachers who taught us all to play rugby and I'll be honest I loved every minute of it I wasn't great um far too cowardly um to be a brilliant uh, tackle but um uh, the good news was that at, at 11 and 12, I was quite short and quite tubby, so I was a great hooker. Um, and I played in the front row, played a flanker, played at fullback for a while, got my testicles stood on by a boy that was much bigger than me. Um, brilliant tackle, though, like game saving tackle, <laughs> so I'll take that. Um, and, you know, loved every part of it, but knew that probably, well, I felt that I maybe wasn't brave enough to be part of it. Now, looking back now, you know, experience is an amazing thing, but I so wish that i could go back and have a word with myself and say everyone char- you know when someone's charging down you everyone's scared you idiot just apply the tackle to, you know use the technique in those days it was like you know that you were targeting navel down that's what we were always taught you know and mm-hmm. it, it, pump when you got the ball if you need to pump your knees because it's going to make the tackler think twice and know, i wish i could have gone back and told myself that you know and, and and had someone to kind of make that normal and make that usual, because I think I would have continued to be involved and loved the game. But so, yeah, I didn't continue to play it really beyond, I don't know, probably year 10, year 11, but continued to go and watch. So lots of my friends were super keen rugby players. You know, a few of them represented England schoolboys and and Somerset and stuff like that. So it was always really good fun to go and watch. And Taunton Rugby Club always had a good, you know, set up um, for us to go down and watch it. Um, there was definitely no underage drinking. Um, that wouldn't have happened um, but we could always go and get a burger for a good price and it was you know somewhere to go watch so going to watch games was always easy and um, I said like I said went to university in Bath and my uh it was my mum's cousin but I called him my uncle my uncle ran pubs and one of them was uh, like the other side of the weir from the wreck so you know that quickly established that I was really good at um, spending all my student loan and my money far quicker than I think even the student loans company would have expected I mean I think at one point they might have suspected that I'd been robbed because it disappeared so quickly but I can say it wasn't I wasn't robbed so I had to get a job and it made sense to work in his pubs and I used to love like rugby days were an absolute dream the pub the pub was probably no bigger than the room I'm in now. You know, it was a t- the tiny it's called it's called the rummer, it's the tiniest little pub. But um you get a couple hundred people in there and just in and out of the streets. We used to have to go out of the um the the back door like behind the cellar door to get into the street to walk around to collect glasses from the front half of the pub because you just couldn't get through the pub. And it filled with fans and what I loved about rugby, you know, particularly having played football and coming from like a football family is that you know you on, on football days. And my dad played Plenfield Go and on football days you'd you know, if Plymouth Exeter back in the day and probably still is a bit tasty, but you wouldn't, there were Plymouth pubs in Plymouth, right? And, and away fans would never, you just wouldn't venture in there. And uh, in, in Bristol now, you know, Bristol, C- Bristol City in the south, Bristol Rovers in the north, there are Rovers pubs and, and city pubs where you wouldn't mix. But working in that pub and being around Bath rugby fans, and I, and the days that always stood out for me was we had, to, above the bar, we had a Leicester Tigers hand-embroidered Bulls bar stool that someone had stolen from... Uh, the, the sort of the equivalent pub in leicester and in the equivalent pub was a bath rugby you know that had been stolen because back in those days it was bath leicester was the rivalry yeah. so on leicester days it would be like twice as busy as every other home game which was busy and it would just be pure joy like everyone you know fans from both teams mixing having a laugh having a few pints you know we'd sell you you, you could never pour enough pints in the time if we could have started a month before we'd still be running out of pints in those days to pour them I mean, in glasses but the atmosphere is incredible and we used to literally you know once you know if it was three o'clock kickoff at five to three the pub it's like you know someone would have pulled the flush the pub would empty and they'd all go off and we literally just fr- you know pile the glasses in the washer lock the pub and run across and watch the game as well and then five minutes before the final whistle nip back to the pub get it all open so that the end of it could happen so I was around rugby and watching rugby and being part of that kind of game day atmosphere which and it was just it was pure joy to be It was just, it was a huge amount of fun and you know at the end of it I was getting paid and that was really helping the bank manager understand that I was still alive and hadn't been robbed and it was you know to get paid to be in amongst that atmosphere it was brilliant I'm gonna uh, being at Bath being at university there's a lot of rugby going on a lot of friends who are playing rugby you get a lot of opportunity to kind of mix with rugby players and be around them and it's just I found myself pulled to the kind of social element of, and the the family, the tribe of being in and around rugby. And I think that that's what stood out for me. And that's what, you know, brought it to me. Like when I said earlier about, you know, the, the idea of rugby home, like that, when he said, I totally got that even as just, you know, just a fan and now a rugby parent, like I get what rugby home is. I felt part of something bigger than standing in a pub trying to endlessly pour. I mean, I mean, you know, Pouring pints of Guinness and doing a shamrock. I don't even know if you, do. You, do you, I don't think they still do shamrocks in the top of a pint of Guinness anymore. But well, you know,
1: not, not round here anyway.
2: Well, I, I don't know if I've still got the knack. Maybe I'll pop <laughs> up one day and we'll have a go at it. But um, you know, feeling like you're part of something bigger is what rugby is to me. You know, and I think that you know, look at how treads kind of feeds through the game. Well, then it's 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 obvious that that's going to produce community and and family, and and that's what. I loved about it, and still that's what I absolutely love about it now. I love the game. I love the. I watch it with my wife often. On you know, if it's if it's a, an away game and it's on TV, we'll watch it. And she's still at, at times entirely baffled by some of the the kind of the regulation rule and and the 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 detail of it. And I being a bit geeky, I quite like the detail of you know the laws and the regulation. Maybe it's not geekiness. Maybe it's the need for someone to try to corral me and hold me in place. It might be that, but um. You know, I, I like watching all that and being part of it. And it just, well, I hope you can see it. it's like, it's just joyful being around, it, isn't it? And being part of it. And weirdly now, it, I, you know, I happily take my kids to go and watch Bears games. And it's not even a thought. It's like a fun thing for us all to go and do. Going to watch football games in the same stadium, in, in the same seats, is a very different experience, which I'm less comfortable. And that's nothing to say about, you know, the atmosphere at the ground is great but the tribalism of football is less attractive to me as a model that I enjoy being in that I want to present to my kids than the the community which is rugby you know and I think yeah that's where rugby came to me at that point but rugby stayed with me because of the community of it and um I think I mean if, if nothing else if I went to university in Bath moved to Bristol and I've never really left Bristol I've in Portershead now which is you know just outside of Bristol there's no point supporting a football team in Bristol because <laughs> you're not going to enjoy yourself very much
0: yeah, Dan Carter echoed that last week. Uh, sorry, Dan Carter. Obviously, Dan, Dan Carter. Carter. Well, wow, I mean, that, that's Dan, uh, Dan uh, yeah, He's next week. Uh, yeah. next week, James. Yeah, Dan Cottrell. <laughs> yeah, Dan Cottrell <laughs> said last week. But uh, so uh, I've got a son who plays football. Just to lay my cards out, I've mentioned it on the pod already. Um, he's up at um, in Gloucester um, at university up there. But even though he's part of the the university team, he's playing for a a, a club, a, a local club as well. he's Going through the university system, his um, social side has been more with the rugby side uh, and the rugby guys that are there because he said it's 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 a bit more like you said community a little bit more family. Of course, it's a little bit perhaps a bit more drinky at, at certainly at university, but this yeah he said there's something about it that's just um it's a closer knit than than perhaps the football side is.
2: It's, I think that whole principle of home, it's, that rug, it's rugby home. I don't, I don't know. I mean, full disclosure, both my children play football as well. You know, my daughter's a really accomplished footballer and far better than I ever was. She's far better than I ever was at most things, and that's probably true of both of them. But, um, <laughs> that, you know, it's the home that, that makes a difference. You do not I never felt home in football. I loved playing football, but never that sense of home, you might have had it in a team. You know, in the team you're in at whatever age group or whatever stage you're playing, but not as a club necessarily. And I think that in rugby, you get it instantly as a club. You know, if you speak to a, who do you play for to a kid? Like if I speak to, so I coach girls football. You speak to the girls and they'll tell you, I play for this team under 12s. You know, they'll, they'll they'll tell you who they play for as a team. But like I said, in my, girl, in my daughter's team, there's her and two others who play for my football team and the same rugby team. And when they talk, who do you play for at rugby? North Bristol. They don't give you any more detail. Like it's not about I play for this this pit of North Bristol. Play for North Bristol, the club North Bristol. That's that's who they're part of, and that's not coming from me. You know, I haven't pushed that. You know, there's more of a community in rugby, and, and I work in rugby you now. There isn't that. That's that's straight from them. Who do you play for? Play for North Bristol. There's no detail in it. You know, because they're part of the community of the rugby club, and you know that when you're there they're as likely to be hanging out with the under-14s, under-16s girls and, and spending time and being in that multi-generational environment that creates as they are with their own team. And there are also, you know, girls that are kind of currently under-11 who are still playing mixed, who are looking, to you know, what's it going to be like next season? They're, they're kind of interacting with them as well. You know, That whole community is ready-made to support them and kind of keep them engaged with the game. Do
0: you think, um, and... Lee's an ex-teacher as well um now head of the academy here at Wimborne um do you think there is something in rugby that attracts teachers to rugby and I know it's a a community thing and I know teachers are, are all about helping groups of kids and and I'm sure it's probably the same in other sports as well but is there something that there's I know there's similarities in all these things but what is it about teachers coming into to rugby as as international coaches as well as local coaches as well as you know running
1: charities and all that sort of stuff uh, i think there's just the um, the desire to try and help and improve the kids help them try and become the best versions of themselves they can be um i don't think it's any more complicated than that um and i think also i suppose uh, there is a benefit to have already been in the teaching environment because you're used to dealing with groups of kids who are used to like looking for different triggers you know how you can inspire them what things you know what things turn them off so let's not let's not do that you know let's let's do this activity instead um so I think uh, we as teachers are given a bit of a leg up a head start if you like on the coaching ladder um and uh, interestingly that's some, something I was listening on with uh, on a Dan Cottrell uh, podcast um talking about um how uh, coaches at um a lower age group so let's say the sixes, um, sevens, eights, that, that sort of group. Um, a lot of the coaches are, are they, they struggle first of all to understand how to deal with those kids, and um, uh, they were particularly talking about coaches that uh, were, coming, were, were either in the professional game or were, or, or, uh, were coming were just coming to the end, end of their sort of um, playing time and trying to look for coaching opportunities, um, you know, in, in the uh, in the adult game, and saying that they'd missed the opportunity to coach kids. And they didn't have that affinity, that empathy mm-hmm. with them. Um, so it's really quite interesting that uh, that podcast. Anyway, I'm, di- I'm digressing here. Um, but uh, yeah, I think anyway, teaching. I think there they are similarities. There is a reason why teachers get involved with with rugby, and I think it is because just just mm-hmm. trying to, to or the desire to want to make those kids the best they can be.
2: Yes, certainly. We we yet to. We, every club we've walked into to work with and introduce star scheme to when we go into a committee meeting or it might be a committee meeting and the volunteers who, who feel they're going to take star scheme on like you, the first question i ask is where's the teachers who works in schools because you, you're going to get one or two hands every single time and i'm not you know and you kind of it's, it's reassuring like okay excellent well it's really likely to succeed because these guys and like exactly like like say, you know they've got already the understanding and the desire of making and improving those children to be the best that they're able to be and I think that's. I completely agree. I think that's what what attracts it. That and the fact that it comes with a nice set of like the respect model and the regulation in rugby is really reassuring the teacher to know you know to know to know that when something goes wrong in rugby that the respect will be there for the coach and the referee because that's implicit to the game. You know, it's it, it, the fabric of the game. It means that for, for, for me, you know, and, and actually like I say, like coaching girls' football is is very similar. It's like football for grown-ups. You know, it's you kind of get to just have a conversation about the content. Rather than the, the context of the behaviour, you know, you want the kids are going to enjoy it and things are going to be loose at times. And that's that's really important, I think. But it's really nice to know that you're going to come and just coach, you know, because in rugby, the, they know that turning up and putting the effort in and listening to the adult or the, the authority figure, whatever, however you want to term it, is, is kind of part of the game. It always has been for them. That therefore, you kind of maybe not coming, but perhaps in your school day, you've had to be responsible fully for that part as well. So, to come to an environment where you just get to teach the content and just get to see the progress in the kids and just get to realize success with them, that's really attractive for teachers, I think, to have that outlet and for me, as I went into sort of school leadership and spent less time in the classroom and you know directly with children every day, it was a really awesome outlet to be able to work as a coach and just enjoy the time with the kids learning something and developing something with them you know and then being part of that that was with no no paperwork marking or, or whatever else might come with you know just being in that world and, and like say work with kids them, it gets improvement it's just i think that's what the attractive feature is
0: so tell us about star scheme then christian it started at chew valley it's still quite in its infancy really it's what yeah. is two years old if,
2: no, well this is our second season
0: second season so um so you started in Chew Valley. So how are things going at the moment um, from...
2: Yeah, um, very, very well. Yeah, very well. So, you know, continue to be there in Chew Valley um, and working with... I mean, the core of those children that we, we started the project with is still there. There have been some coming, some goings, as you would have in any rugby club and rugby team. So that one's still going really well. We're um, we're launched and active in 14 clubs now across um, Bristol, and the Worcester region we're just kind of starting to branch out into Bath and um we're partnering with the Matt Ratner Rugby Foundation um and launching a project in Croydon which we've imaginatively behind the scenes called Project Croydon um sometimes we refer to it as the Croydon project I oh, know if this goes wrong I'm thinking marketing's probably where I should be yeah, um yeah it's amazing and it? it's just it came to me it came to work well, came to me and Sean Morgan the uh the CEO of Matt Ratner, we had an inspirational moment when we came up with that name, but we're we're launching with them and we're hoping to work with three clubs initially in the Croydon Borough, up to five by the end of the season and then continue to kind of grow in that area. Um Southwark Rugby Club in South London, they've come on board with us this week as well. So we're acquiring clubs, left, right and centre, Eastleigh, they're interested, we're in conversation with them, Salisbury Rugby Club, and what's really amazing is we spent a lot of time particularly beginning at the end of last season, beginning of this season, starting to go out and make contact with clubs and, and find them and find those people that have a similar mindset and, and start to introduce stars to them as a possibility. And where we are now is actually clubs are approaching us. Um, you know, for our website, there's an inquiry function and that people are coming to us to ask us to go and work with them. And it feels one of the people that, that works with us, who's, who's Dan, who set it up his wife, George, he said it feels like it's just about to explode. Like it's just kind of you know that that balloon is is really pressurized and it's about to kind of launch in lots of directions so from that side I think from the kind of growth and the expansion of where we are it's absolutely incredible um in terms of the kids on the ground it's I think it's kind of it's indicative that um it's my, the lowest level of concern for me is the, the children and the young people involved in the charity because I'm and it's not because I don't care it's because I'm so secure with the experience that they and their families are getting and the impact that therefore it's having that it doesn't feel like something that i have to worry about i have concern for it and i'm continually looking to kind of see you know is this with the, to the level we want it to be is this an experience which is positive and engaging is going to guarantee like lifelong participation in in rugby in one way or another for the, these people but i'm not worried about it i know that the work that grassroots rugby clubs are doing and community rugby clubs is do, are doing is just incredible like we're not going there's very few clubs we're going into and describing what it is we do a star scheme where they go well we've never heard of that mm-hmm. we've never done anything like that like most clubs are like oh yeah we do loads of that but we wish we could and it's like in some you know if one of the clubs we're working with at the moment like we're we are basically just going to provide that link between getting the kids from the school where they're engaged into the local club you know it's that simple in some clubs and and because the world of grassroots rugby and the world of rugby kind of does these things you know it makes sure that those kids that perhaps aren't able to provide it for themselves get kit uh, and not just kit from sponsors but you know clubs having boot exchanges where you know you just pop one pair in take another pair out and it's it's subtle and, it, and it's and it's kind of comes from a place of love and it just means that kids are able to engage like that's that's a great thing that's going on it's going on at every club we go into like we when we were first forming you know how do we present stars it like well that we'll have to tell them about that this, this amazing idea we've had of, you know boot exchange and you're kind of right like, in the first two, like yeah we do that like, oh yeah <laughs> what, what, what what about what about a kit exchange yeah we've always done that like, yeah okay so that's no longer a thing we have to present to you like you clubs have presented far better ways of doing it back to us um so you know it's it's growing it's succeeding we're getting more and more children involved I think it's becoming slowly becoming more and more known in the community of rugby um, it's often I often voice it as being a no-brainer for anyone that might be a, a stakeholder or be interested in it um, you know for the schools I mean, essentially we go to schools and say would you like some free rugby provision Um, from in some instances from the local professional community professional club community foundation and then would you like us to provide grassroots sport for some of your most vulnerable children and ensure that the families don't ever incur a cost other than their time to accompany their child and enjoy it for the rest of their childhood you know um, we're yet to come across many schools and go no thank you (laughs) no no we're quite happy thanks those most vulnerable kids can wait you know no no one in the world is thinking that And we are going to Grassroots Rugby Club and saying, you know, that amazing work you're doing. Would you like some support and a bit more funding to make sure that you can do even more of it? You know, that that's a no brainer. And to go to the community foundations or go to people like the RFU and say, we can help to formalise and mobilise that already existing volunteer network and grow it. And we can up participation in the game by targeting and introducing the game to communities or, or you know so communities within communities who don't access it you know it's in some areas of the country in some communities rugby isn't played and there isn't really a local professional club or or a, a nat one two or three club that is present and therefore you can understand the lack of rugby but like we, we're we doing this in bristol you know we're doing this in, in the southwest where we've got gloucester bath bristol exeter that have got you know geographically maybe it's a large area but rugby is prevalent in the southwest and we're still engaging children within communities for whom rugby isn't a part of their diet of sport and then we introduce it to them and for many of the kids that we kind of target and we we, you know we identify kids in discussions with schools it's schools that give us the, the, the beginning of the kind of idea of which kids in their cohorts would be really good to work with and would benefit from it and we run it we run the, the, the sessions in school the coaching sessions so that we can see which kids really have an aptitude for it you know we're not going to finding kids who might have suffered adversity in their life who've got no interest in rugby and dragging them to a rugby club and pinning them there because we paid for it, it the, the thing about this is you know we say that it's, it's got to be an exceptional experience for the kids right it's got to be not just as good as, but exceptional for these kids and their families. And and that means they've got to love it and not love every minute of it. No one loves hands so cold you can't undo your laces, but you can have the enjoyment of the game, right? And and that enjoyment of the game and enjoyment of the experience is key to what we're doing. So we get that identified from the school, who those kids are. We pair them with the clubs and support the clubs. And it just then, to be honest, I mean, we don't sit back because we've got to be involved in keeping it going but it's then it's rugby that does the the work of enabling these children to process trauma to overcome adversity to reverse kind of outcomes which would otherwise be true of them
0: i was going to say because um here at Wimbledon we do our best as well um helping you know kids that come along that, that perhaps haven't got the fees or or the ability to pay the fees or or buy kit or anything like that and we you know we do a lot of what you're saying, but. Um, having the ability to engage with the community is something I think every club um, can do better always. But if a club comes to Star scheme uh, and says, you know, want you guys involved, want to be part of this system, who do they work with?
2: Do you, what, who do they work with, with, Starscheme? with from Scheme. Yeah. So there's, there's not very many of us at the moment um it, the plan is it will grow so the plan is that we'll have like regional representatives you know who will kind of the clubs in, in that region will communicate directly to them now we've got one incredible human called sha morgan who's agreed to be regional sort of manager we call it she hates the title um but uh, of the bristol area but currently is running bristol and worcester um will undoubtedly sort out the clubs in bath so we're definitely overstretching her but so they'll they'll, they'll encounter myself In the first instance, you know, like generally when we're kind of explaining what the star scheme is and how it works and what it's up to, it'd be me or it might be Dan who set the charity up as one of us two. Then, in terms of the day to day running, it'd be myself, Dan, and Sean at the moment. That's the kind of star scheme team that are delivering this. What we do, though, is we, when we work with clubs, we ask that there's someone within that club who's going to be, or people within that club who are going to take on the role of leadership for star within it. So, the ideal is that that isn't somebody who is already a grassroots volunteer at that club, although it often is because they kind of they're the people who are most passionate in it. But you know, that we want to build a, a wider volunteer network, and we we ask for someone to be that kind of star or that role, people to take on that that role of star leadership because it needs to be, as you say, like it needs. Well, I think as you were alluding to, it, it needs to be visible at club level. That like we need to know that who is at Wimborne Rugby who represents star and stands for the star scheme and celebrates what it's about and ensures that the transport for kids is sorted and that they're going to get fed after the game and that they know where they're going to be and that mum dad carer of the child knows where to turn up with when or, and that might be with the transport you know and that same that same style leadership role ensures that we've got a kind of a wider um, bank of volunteers who we call them um, family support volunteers which again i'm pretty good at um naming things and coming up with creative names and what they do is they support families so you know the intent would be that you know perhaps in the under the under eights there's some parents who are already there on a Sunday stood there right who are going to look out for new parents and they may or may not be star scheme kids we're not going you know we don't tattoo the star scheme children we've looked into that it's definitely illegal and we don't dress them special in any special way you know they're part of the club I say we introduce them to the club and support them we they're not we don't place them at the club right but um you know the family support look out for those new parents And they do this incredible thing called being human, and they talk talk to them, and they welcome them in, and they share a cup of tea. And in in some clubs, we have budgets for, you know, a cup of tea because some clubs, and I don't, you know, some clubs are like, right, cool, we can cover cups of tea for people. That's not a problem. Other clubs want to know there's a fund for it, and that's cool, you know. However, a club wants to run Star Scheme, we'll support them to do that to achieve the goals we're up to and on the principles that we've got based. You know, the family support are there to make sure. So we've got volunteers for that, and then what we do then is we support those that's the star leadership role within the club to make sure that first of all they have all the resources they need to make star run successfully that they have the support they need because they're going to come across challenges which may not be a usual part of being every day as a volunteer in a rugby club um and then we provide training to them in the world of aces and, and and um attachment theory and early childhood trauma we kind of give some base training and that to them to the coaches to the family support volunteers so they have a, an understanding of the world that they're operating in and that's not to say you know they go in and they direct conversations at the star kids using the the, the hints and tips and that they've got from the training it's not about that it goes back to that idea of being human you know when we if we've got a better understanding of what might be happening for someone and why that means that it appears as it does we've got a far better chance of actually helping the situation rather than you know making the situation worse or or blowing it up you know and like one of the in the coaches training one of the things we talk about is how you use your voice you know and and it's there's a there's a real there's, there's a good place for a raised voice and on a rugby field because it's quite a big space but you know that you'll see the most accomplished coaches and I'm sure this feels for you too as well that will have a signal be it a whistle or whatever they do and I've got one guy like waves a rugby ball in the air which I over at first when I watched it I was like like how are you expecting that's going to because the kids are used to it he raised them and they're all like oh yeah we'll go we'll go and see it to him." because he's waving a rugby ball in the air like how they know they just know right so we talk about the use of voice because you know a child that's feeling anxious is is you know to use neurological terms is, is um hyper aroused is going to have an interesting response to a raised voice particularly if we consider that child might have encountered some sort of domestic violence abuse which in which volume and a raised voice There or or any trauma that's included, kind of raised voice and and, and the violence that can come with a raised voice. Now, I'm not saying that rugby coaches are shouting violently and aggressively, but that you know, the child in when hearing that and hearing that stress input isn't going to reasonably think, Oh, I wonder if they're angry or are they just raising their voice to get my attention. They're going to hear the raised voice and that's going to trigger that stress response. But knowing that as a coach, right? Knowing that could be true of some of our star kids, but also of all children means you change your approach and you get to a wave rugby ball or. You blow a whistle or whatever it is that the coach chooses to do to raise the attention of the child is you know just little things like that that make the difference between a kid that's disengaged or terrified or you know some of these kids will have that stress response and we and all children will have that stress response to the raised voice and um, them becoming used to it isn't them no longer having a stress response that that's them having a resilient response from their um parasympathetic nervous system which calms them so they get the stress happens every time it's just the calming happens more efficiently and that's kind of huge neurotypical development but for kids who haven't got that neurotypical development particularly not children who haven't got a neurotypical parasympathetic stress response they stay in that aroused state that kind of maybe it's fear maybe it's excitement but they stay there for longer you know something as simple as raising your voice to shout across a field to attract the attention of a child who might be about to do something seriously dangerous it's an appropriate time right to raise your voice could have quite big ramifications so it's not about we don't do that because sometimes to say you don't instantly kind of it's like saying do not tackle you know above the waist isn't it? you know you instantly create a load of you take away a load of choices and you also introduce a load of choices which are really hard to make so we don't say don't shout because maybe sometimes you're going to but be aware of what that shout was because so it might be that in the in from the shout comes the Cool. I had to raise my voice then. That was loud, wasn't it? All right, is everyone okay? okay I had to raise my voice because, you know, James was a, a, was a, about to make a tackle that it, or about to do something that put him at risk. So I just wanted to stop that situation. So is everyone okay? James, don't worry. You know, I'm, I'm not, angry. you know, there's no anger. I'm just trying to keep you all safe. Right. Well, actually, what I'd like to do is, you know, look at that situation again. Let's set up in a game situation and look at what the alternatives are. You know, and it turns into a coaching point. So we provide the training to enable that not to give a script although we probably would have a few things of things not to say you know we can all guess what they are but we don't have a script but we have an approach and we have a, an understanding and you know the, the greatest threat to us all as a species is ignorance isn't it and and, and then acceptance as, as ignorance as fact you know maybe we could roll this all the way back and apply it to the, the you know tackle high the great thing about social media is seeing the kind of ignorance respond and it? it's brilliant it's absolutely awesome some Someone who's, uh, who remembers watching the, uh, the World Cup final in 2001 and since had no engagement rugby has a very, very solid opinion on whether tackle height should be raised or lowered. But, um, you know, if we, if we combat the ignorance around what might be going on for these children and these people, because, you know, the reason we like to engage adults is adults are essentially just children in bigger bodies, right? So we, we can apply the same principles to us all. The reason we, we learn and we, we, we educate the, the volunteers, the coaches and the volunteers in that world is so that the community that these that we exist in in the world of rugby is a far more understanding community and with further understanding just comes greater success for everyone
0: i uh, absolutely uh, i think it's safe to say everybody here would would be um 100 behind you because being a coach being a manager working with kids is is all about how you coach rugby we're a community we look after each other you know the support comes um but it's those little details of you don't know what that kid's been through and how would that affect and and that sort of stuff which is which is yeah. massive um but i am going to blow half time on this because we have to have a half time somewhere and um unfortunately we haven't got all night which is which i'd love to so half time announcements everybody we're trying to spread um Uh, trying to help grassroots if you are a club and you have something to promote, shout about, need some support or some help, please get in touch with us on info at Be More Rugby or any of the social medias. Um, And ask, we're happy to talk about it at halftime, but this halftime can't go past without the announcement uh, of the star scheme. So um, please, if you want to help, if you feel you need help, um, if you've been listening to this podcast and think actually, you know, our clubs missing out or some of our uh, boys and girls are missing out because we haven't got this in our, in our club, get in touch with star scheme. They're on the internet, www.starscheme.co.uk, um, email them at info at starscheme.co.uk, go on the social media channels. Um, Instagram is star.scheme. Um and i know they're on facebook and what's your facebook christian oh, christian's frozen um sure christian will be back shortly anyway um but yes get on we're big in the states at the moment we've got a lot of listeners out there if we're if your club is um in need or wants to support or even if you want to support yourself um star scheme need funding i i have to be honest when I started the the whole Be More Rugby idea, my desire was that it would help support youngsters that had barriers to rugby be able to get into rugby somehow. So so to find, um, and I, I will shout out Georgie because she, yeah, she's incredible following. And it was a comment from her that turned into a conversation that uh, has turned into this podcast happening. So... Georgie, thank you so much. Um, uh, yes, you absolutely. She, we're we're thinking of
2: sending her out on like the professional fishing circuit because <laughs> she's like a hundred percent strike rate. She's incredible. I would. You know, she's. I would. Yeah. I mean, not not even Chris Robshaw is safe from Georgie yeah. <laughs> on on social media. It's incredible the, the return she's got.
0: So, Georgie, thank you. And if everyone, if anybody gets contacted by Georgie, engage honestly. Um, I'm over the moon that Star Scheme exist because it's given me peace of mind um yeah, well but anyway on to our second half this is where we talk about exactly what we hear about this is the the ethics the ethos the how rugby helps us christy we start the second half um with a question what does rugby mean to you
2: i mean it's a great question right um i think i covered it a bit in the maybe in the first half, about how it provides for me, per, like for, you know, I suppose it's got, well, yeah, for personally, it provides that kind of place that I can go, watch live sport, enjoy being there, maybe have a pint, maybe not. You know, I'm happy to take my kids to it. And it's something that I kind of, yeah, I think that it provides that additional community and that kind of space that's, a fun and, and safe space to be in and a, a, a nice place to be and I think that then when I think about well and also what does me mean for personally well it's completely changed the direction of my life I suppose and the life I think about realistically for the last year and a half and particularly since August this year where you know I've always taught That's what I've done being a teacher was kind of uh, what I enjoyed and, and, I, and, I, and that's, I'll, I'll be clear you know I've I enjoyed my career until the end in teaching. I didn't leave teaching because I didn't love teaching, you know. I just found something that was too good an opportunity to to waste and leave. But yeah, so rugby has completely uh completely changed the direction of my life and my career. Um if I think about what that change has done, then it means that I've gone from rushing the kids out of the house to a breakfast club to arrive there for seven thirty and picking them up at half five, you know, most days, to being able to walk my, my my daughter goes to secondary school now so there's absolutely no way I'd get away with dropping her anywhere um, unless I was wearing a mask and driving someone else's car so I couldn't be identified but um, you know now I get to take my son to and from school every single day and have time that I never appreciated before you know that's pretty awesome so rugby in that sense means that I've got more balance with my family and my family time than I think I ever achieved <laughs> you know in my time as a teacher and you know, I sometimes felt I spent a lot more time with other people's kids and I ever stood a chance of spending with mine and that's no longer true that's a really good thing um yeah rugby's given me uh like a and, and through the job and through the work of Starsky you know, which is is the rugby world it's given me, it's given me like a, le- a lease of life where it's kind of you know I, I wake up every morning like super excited about what I'm going to do that day with Starsky and, and what it might bring and what surprises might kind of weedle the way out of the woodwork so that's you know, that's a hell of a thing to have right you know that what rugby's given me is kind of uh, not a second chance because that sounds like you know the first chance wasn't great I loved education I'm a passionate about education and what it and, and, and the right to it and the access to it and, and what it does in life but what rugby's given me is kind of that same love and that same passion to, you know in a completely different sphere and completely different world and it's introduced me to some really interesting and like really incredible people you know I, I was bloody amazing at being an educator, and no one ever asked me to go on a podcast. <laughs> I've been on two since I've done this. Dan Cottrell was the first one, um, which so Dan Cottrell's podcast Dan was brilliant. First, yeah. We <laughs> had our always follow after Dan Cochrill for that <laughs> yeah. <reason>, uh, <laughs> And, and do you know what? The only thing is that I had I had less warning about Dan Cottrell than I had about you. So oh. we had our first ever sort of fundraising dinner in September this year, right at the end of September. And it was on a Thursday evening at Ashton Gate Stadium. It was amazing, just absolutely brilliant. Like almost 300 people in the room supporting. stuff. Just it was really emo- emotional. Like to think, and we stood with Dan, um, who not Dan Cottrell, but Dan, who Dan Waller, who started the started the Star Scheme. And we just kind of stood at one moment and looked around. And I was like, look what we've done. Like Christ. But anyway, we had that. So in like two o'clock in the morning, half two in the morning. Uh, you know, drove home and kind I of went to bed. And my wife sort of open half an eye how was it, it was like just unreal so the next morning we got back together as the sort of the star gang to kind of you know what we learned what do we know went well so that was a meeting about half nine I think and it's kind of finished at about quarter to eleven and Dan Warner said right um what are you doing at eleven o'clock and I was like and not much if I'm honest And you know, I'm pretty he's like oh good we're doing a podcast and that was, <laughs> You mean in like eleven o'clock in fifteen minutes? Like, yeah, yeah, we we'll do the podcast, and that's how we went into Dan Cottrell. So you know, like I said, all that time in education, no one invited me on a podcast. I've done two since doing Star Scheme, and then when I think about what does like what does rugby mean like for Star Scheme? Well, like it's the vehicle that enables us to be part of the transformation for some of the most vulnerable young people and families that are in our society, and I, it's not a hallmark hard moment like it's genuinely what rugby and the star scheme are doing and it's like to be a part of that now that's just frankly incredible so yeah rugby what does rugby mean to me is quite a lot is the probably the honest answer although I'd like to you know remind everyone that I'm an outstanding coward and fairly useless at playing the game
1: (laughs) Uh, really good answer um Christian I'm just going to throw another one at you now um, what have you learned from rugby that has helped you most? Uh
2: overcoming adversity. And I don't mean that as just a flip back to um to the star scheme. obviously, you know, there's a clue there as to why why rugby is the platform the Star Scheme works in like you know, in rugby, and going back to that thing, James, about really enjoying attritional rugby. Like attritional rugby is is a victory over adversity. And if it's really good. It's like adversity from lots of levels, right? You know, the the, the skill and the physicality, the opposition, the of so it's you know providing that attritional defensive or, or attritional rugby within the rules of the game, which takes an it, that's not a, a, the rules of the game. Sometimes are, are the biggest adversity in and around the ruck and maul, aren't they? You know, just and the personal discipline that takes, but also you know to overcome and score a try, following you know seven or eight phases of rolling around on the ground and trying to produce something magical is it for me is almost more enjoyable to watch or to to witness than that kind of length of the field run because you know length of the field run is about an individual maybe two or three individuals who've kind of done something outstanding which is always to be celebrated but I guess maybe it comes from my you know my views that, that, that led me to being a teacher that you know that the attritional rugby and the overcoming adversity together. There's something about the togetherness of attritional rugby that i really, really enjoy. Like it's at its best when it's a 15 man defense, right? As sad as I might be, I like nothing more than seeing a good seven. And it's the great thing about being a Bears fan is that when it goes well, you get to see quite a lot of this of, you know, prolonged lengths of time in your own 22 tackle after tackle rocks, more attritional stuff that just, takes every member of the team to be part of it. And I think that's what, you know, the value of that, and that as a value is what rugby's taught me, that, you know, that no matter what the adversity, no matter what's in your way, with the right support and the right approach and the right knowledge, you can overcome it and you can achieve something that at times would seem almost impossible. I think that's what I've learned from rugby.
0: That's fantastic. And I and I agree with you about the, the defence. Uh, think back, you know, Ten, twelve years ago, when England was were considered to have that white wall of defence, and and mm. you kind of don't see forwards, backs, um, second row, hookers. You just see the whole team working together, standing strong, so that they can and, and they might not be gaining ground, but they're not losing. They're yeah. all together, and they're all you know. Wow, yeah. really good, really good. So, what do you um, <clears throat> what do you hope people getting their daily lives from rugby those that play now what do you hope that people take into their daily lives and um and and use
2: i think that well, i mean first of all you you, the physical outlet and the outlet of physicality that rugby provides i think is really key i think for all of us we all need that connection to being to physicality and, and unless you're kind of playing at the most elite level you're getting to do that outside you know i'm a massive fan of the outside and spend as much time with it as I can and I think that the benefit that the outside brings to you is important and you don't really meet many people in rugby you who don't love you know who, who don't enjoy standing in a wet muddy situation getting freezing cold for a prolonged amount of time you know I think that you know the love of the outside and the kind of taking forward and hoping that they get that that joy of activity and joy of physicality I think I hope they take that but I think really that you know I've maybe heart on on about it but but like, I hope that every day they take from rugby that they know they're part of a community, that they know that there's behind them, right, is, is everything they'll ever need to get through whatever it is they face. So I've spoke at um, a dinner at the Houses of Parliament, which, you know, I was, again, in education, it was, I know it will surprise a lot of people out there. And Lee, I know you'll be particularly surprised that in my whole time in education, no one invited me to a dinner and let alone a dinner at the House of the Parliament. I, I don't know whether... Well,
1: that's not one we didn't know. share with the kids at lunchtime, you mean. No, no,
2: yeah. yeah. Plenty of reception kids wanted me to sit yeah. on their table yeah. whilst they Absolutely. destroyed fish, and fish fingers and chips. Like, and I'm a massive... There wasn't that much difference between that and the House of the Parliament, if I'm totally honest. But um, I spoke there, and it was in the beginning of december so i'd only been, you know i joined star scheme as an md and like you know full time as, as my proper grown-up job in, in in august and at that time we were like in one club and we were launching with a couple others we weren't we were exactly what we were supposed to be at that point right fast forward to december and i'm kind of traveling up on the train to go and you know, to even say it now to go and speak at the you know, houses of parliament you know that that place that you see on tv and um i kind of stood there and so i speaking to dan and a couple of people and and, it, and it's one of those key things that he kind of said to remind me, I guess, but, you know, just to make sure that I remembered it, that when I stood at the front of that room and it was with the Matt Ratner Foundation, it was their dinner, and it was to launch the idea of the wonderfully and creatively named Project Croydon. Um, and he said, look, you remember, you know, when you're stood there, you're not, you'll be on your own at the front, you know, who who knows how many people will be there. He said, when you say you're not on your own, you've got all of the community of star behind you and with that comes all of the community of rugby has stood with you understanding where you're coming from supporting what you're doing and what you and all I am is just delivering what that community is doing I'm just having to be the person that's there and it's one of the most reassuring things that I think I've ever experienced and felt you know you know it was a room of I think it was about 45 50 people so not massive and I've done assemblies to hundreds so you know maybe you know scale-wise but I'm ashamed to say that, the, that where I was and the occasion was it, it definitely hit home, but to know you stood there like, do you know what? all of this lot've got my back, you know, and they're all with me here to do this, and that community's behind me, but that yeah, that's overwhelming, and that was um, I think that's one of the key bits for me.
1: I've got to say the amount of um, excitement and joy you get from from your role is is amazing, it certainly comes across on the on, on the mm. screen here. Um, you know and uh, it's fair to say that in the short time you've come a hell of a long way really with the whole the whole star scheme now when you're talking about you know stand up and talking um, in front of guys at the houses of parliament you know it's almost like it's almost like you don't believe it yourself but um but you know (laughs) it's made it made them you know the amount the strides you've made in such a short time are quite amazing
2: yeah I mean and I think that comes from like you know me and Dan very much believe in we've both sort of taken part in some training in an organisation called Landmark and we work and believe in this world like possibility, like, well, let's work with what's possible and work with that and create a future for our, for, the, for the star scheme that is built on what's possible. So when I talk about, you know, our aim is that we'll be in every premiership region, like the, the 14, if we just for a moment forget about WASPs and, um, and Worcester and what, what happened there, but, you know, the 14 regions, there's, there's, there's still those 14 regions as it will be from September. 14 regions... 20 grassroots clubs, 25 kids at least in each of those clubs, in each of those regions, 7,000 children. Now, we, we don't say we're going to be there in 10 years because that means it's too late, right? Yeah. It's too late. So we say by the end of three years from when we started, so this season, next season, the season after, by then that's what we we're going to have done in, in England. And then we're going to go and do that in Wales and and Scotland and, and obviously Ireland because they're quite quick and easy to get to but actually if I'm entirely honest like you know I'm happy to share this aim and and, and our ambition but for me it's not an ambition it's just I'm, I'm sharing with you what our, our plan is and where we're going to be that we'll be in every rugby playing nation like Star will be in every rugby playing nation doing the work that we do and I think we can probably get I'm you I'm know I mean Dan, Dan Wooler, who set the charity up he, he's, he's one of our kind of lead One of our leads on fundraising might go a bit white if he listens to this bit, but in 10 years, there's no reason why we can't be in all those countries. No reason whatsoever. It just takes the opportunity, which we're, you know, it's entirely possible we create those opportunities. And then when we're in every rugby playing nation, delivering and supporting Star, and therefore delivering like rugby home to the most vulnerable children in society globally. Then we start to, then maybe, you know, we'll think about going into cricket or or football or rowing or archery. I've always thought archery would be a fun place to try it. Um, giving kids with adverse experiences and sometimes interesting behavior manifestation weapons has got to be the next step and it to really test whether this works.
1: It's a brave man that takes that decision, I think. But um, yeah. Um, is, is it, Christian, is it fair to say then that the, the massive driving force for you? is knowing now that there are kids missing out that could be getting a huge benefit from rugby. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like, yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know anyone. Maybe, I, maybe it's just the people I know, but like, I don't know anyone that sits and knows that, for example, in Bristol pre-pandemic, 20,000 kids, or 19,700, but 20,000 kids living in income-deprived households in a city of nearly 400,000 people, 20,000 children. When we're working in, you know, working in London and in in the borough, you know, there's like 900,000 children, 700,000, some of that, that are living in deprivation and with adversity, like just in London. And when you start to get to those numbers and when you learn the facts of what happens to those children when they become adults, a worryingly high proportion of the adult prison population in England will identify as having multiple adverse childhood experiences. So when you know how that's true and you know how that unfolds and how that plays out, then it's back to that phrase no-brainer. You know, you've got to be in action and do something about that.
1: Yeah, you're sort of, you know, you're taking it upon yourself to tackle those future problems, really.
2: Yeah, so my passion, my drive is to meet those kids and reach those kids who we know can benefit from rugby. And share, shared, you know, the statistics of kids living in income deprivation. Um, I don't know if it recorded, but I said about the, you know, a worryingly high proportion of the adult prison population in England would identify as having four or more aces. And it's something that I, it's near, you know, it's above 80%. And when you start to look at that and and, and know that those children currently living in deprivation have an increased chance of becoming that sort of outcome, you know, children who encounter multiple adverse experiences are 85% more likely to contract a terminal illness. You know, their life expectancy is shorter. But when you know stuff like that, and, and you know, that's that's just not me, you know, that comes from varying researches over the last 30 or 40 years, which are, you know, held up in sci- the scientific forum. When you know that stuff is true, when you know that, that that's 16 times more likely to um, attempt suicide or eight times more likely to develop depression and all that sort of stuff then like not doing something is like well, it just doesn't sit with me there's no way I can't be in action for that and then what Starsky and what in the world of rugby provides is a mechanism which will help to reverse that you know for those kids that we're able to engage with and we're not looking for kids, to, you know, we've got videos produced and and, and, meet, and and in some of our social media stuff, we, c- we celebrate the success of all of our kids and some of those kids are making academy rugby and that's incredible. You know, what an amazing thing. If we achieve achieve the ambition, when we achieve the ambition of those 7,000 kids and we roll that for a few years, we're, we're going to turn out some first-team premiership players. Mm. Just by statistically it's likely, right? When we go world, globally, well, an international rugby player is not unimaginable from what we're doing but that and that'll be incredible and i you know the minute that the first star kid walks out onto a first team i'll be an emotional wreck to think you know rugby's done that right rugby knowing what that kid could have been look what you know we're working with some current play you know um professionals for whom this story is true you know for whom their story is the star scheme child story they we just didn't exist when they were they were lucky to have someone who did what we did for them when it's their local rugby club essentially is what's So, you know, that, that would be incredible. But what our ambition is, is that, well, part of our ambition, the drive for me is knowing that, you know, we work with whichever community rugby club from wherever, and we put a kid in at seven years old through the star scheme, and they get the support and the care and the nurture and the provision that rugby provides and the star scheme supports to do it. And that, you know, fast forward that 20 years and that child rocking out for the first or the second in that, in that community club. Like that's success, right? That kid is that kid's got rugby. That person has rugby, and that you know. Then you maybe you roll it forward another fifteen years, or depending on how badly injured they become, or what the hell the tackling rule is back by then. You know, they're, then they're starting to coach, and they're a leader in that community of rugby. That they you, know, you take that child who didn't have rugby, and had no access to it, and provide it, and they turn into a leader of that community of rugby, and hopefully a leader in their community wider and beyond rugby. That's that's the success we're after. We celebrate everything all of our young people do. And in the rugby community, we love nothing more than knowing that one of the children from our rugby community has gone on to become a professional, to be involved in elite pathways. Like, what an incredible thing. Because it's, it's it, it gains the plaudits it deserves. But, you know, for me, when I'm older, greyer and even more tired out, to be able to attend a, a grassroots, local grassroots rugby game To go watch Chew Valley first in a few, however many times, in how many years' time, and know that, all right, those four Rule Star kids that we introduced to the game, and now look at them, that'll be absolute gold.
0: Thank you for that. Um, I think I'm going to have to um, say we're about out of time. Um, Not more for the fact that I'm absolutely nervous as hell that the (laughs) internet's going to crash and we won't get. This recording, I'm desperate to uh, to get this recorded. Technology, I'm not a fan of. I stay with rugby and forget technology. But Christian, thank you ever so much. Um, thank thank you. you for coming on the podcast. A few things that I've got to take away from this. I mean, firstly, I'm already a big, big fan of Star Scheme. Um, it's something that is um, has always been on my mind to give. Um, kids that haven't got that opportunity that opportunity to get into rugby because for me for lee for all of us that have have been involved with the be more rugby stuff and and i can i think i can safely say for probably every member of Wimborne rugby club as well i speak for everybody we've all got i mean we've got such a lot of kids down here in in the club now but we all have benefited from rugby whether it's here whether it's other clubs some of us have come from other clubs we've got kids that are involved in it here the um the, the absolute um joy for me is to know that there's kids out there that potentially could miss or have missed that star scheme is out there trying to find them trying to aid them trying to give them the pathway trying to put the right clubs in place um, so that these kids can have those opportunities and they don't end up the horrendous statistics that you were talking about but you, I mean, you touched on you know the rugby to use uh, that um, place where you take your family as a safe space, as a community. You mentioned that it's you know you you said the phrase rugby home, which I think everybody would um, would yeah. really get in, involved with. But you also said that it's about overcoming adversities together. It's that that joint team effort. And yeah. as far as I'm concerned, you know life's tough. If you have got some good friends, good team good support around you then it doesn't get any tougher but you can certainly get over it easier
1: yeah definitely
2: i wholeheartedly agree with that
1: what about you Lee? oh christian i think um just i think i've said it already but um you know the the, the passion and drive and excitement that that so what you're doing you know um seems to give you is quite infectious um and uh you know i think that the, the scheme is 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 a fantastic idea and it's just not just, that's probably the wrong word, but it's building on what's already happening in the rugby community, right, and helping these other other kids and families who would not be necessarily aware, aware that this opportunity exists, trying to line them up and guide them in the right way and put the two and two together, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a fantastic scheme and I wish you all the very best.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. I think it's, you know, we like to think we open the door to rugby home, right, for those kids that otherwise don't get it. Yeah. And then, like you said, it exists, and then rugby does the magic. Did and right, rugby, rugby home that... down, James.
1: Yeah, rugby home. we're keeping that one, are we? Yeah, all right, we're keeping that one.
2: I think Wayne Sanford, be... <laughs> Ballingham RFC. <laughs> Wayne,
0: thank you for rugby home. That's for Wayne. Um, beauty. So, everybody, we've come to the end, and um, I can't urge people enough. Um, Star Scheme have got an aim of being in, in the 14 Premier. Premiership areas um, in two more seasons' time. Yeah, get on the phone, get on the internet, search them out, get involved. This is about giving kids opportunities to make them better people, to go on to make society a better place, to make the country a greater country, to make the world a greater, a greater world, and and a great community with them. Um, uh, with this, and and obviously, ten years' time in uh, in all rugby playing countries in the world yeah let's go yeah. I mean
2: not, not just because I fancy visiting Australia New Zealand and watching some games over there that's <laughs> that's just coincidental
1: I mean naturally you're going to have to go there you know just to make sure everything's okay and keep an eye on things you've got to do that but that's all due diligently
2: absolutely. You know, I've got a responsibility yeah. to ensure that what we're delivering is consistent and to the highest quality in all areas of the world
0: <laughs> so everybody um Get on the internet www.starscheme.co.uk or info at starscheme.co.uk or on all of the social medias. Uh, Star Scheme, search it up.
2: Give us a follow. Yeah. Please, my social media people, if, if I say that. Give every
0: give them the support that we can as a, uh, a global rugby community. Um, and I just want to say thank you, Lee, again for coming on it's been a pleasure you're starting to become
1: part of the furniture wow we'll see we'll see <laughs> let's listen to the recorder listen to the playback and see what happens and you know a bit of good editing by james and who never knows what, what could happen wow. here we'll see and christian well, we
2: overcame the adversity of the of the internet from both ends we, didn't we, so.
0: we certainly did we certainly did christian say thank you to georgie for me uh, of course I will. and thank you so much for coming on and spending your time
2: well, thank you for the, the generosity of the offer and, and the space to talk into. It's been awesome. It's been really good fun. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Cool. And to everybody that's listened, thank you for listening. If you're enjoying what we're doing, please like and follow. Give us the opportunity to uh, get more guests on to spread this um, word. And until next time, be more rugby.
1: Thank you, guys. Thanks, James. Thank you, Christian.
2: Thanks, guys. Thank you very much.